WHMP. And welcome this afternoon, this post-primary afternoon. So, Dan. Yes, Buzz. That was a pretty interesting primary that we had yesterday. I, I was uh, in this studio. Yes, yes, I was, from 8 to 10. And uh, there were no, I guess, major shocks. The polls were pretty accurate, um, if I had to guess, from the both the Democratic and Republican side. Yeah. So it was, uh, what'd you think of the outcomes? Well, I felt, first of all, uh, we have the best gig in the world because we get to meet these candidates, the statewide candidates. Yeah. So we had, uh, we had met every one of them, the candidates for mm-hmm. Lieutenant Governor, mm-hmm. for Attorney General, and um, we had shared with listeners what our preferences were. We both lo- liked um, and respected Andrea Campbell. Um, she was pretty much a runaway, I guess, she Shannon... Was. This Reardon's um, They're spending uh, investment in her campaign didn't pay off the way she tens hoped. Tens of millions, right? That's what I. I, I heard accurate? four million, then yeah. I heard eleven Eight. million. Yeah. I don't know, but um, that's a lot of money. A lot of money. I guess she, she doesn't get a it. rebate or a refund partially on that. Yeah, if you lose, you get all your money back then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, I think I think Andre is going to be uh, a, a good attorney general, assuming that she wins in November. Yeah. Um, Wait, do the Republicans have an attorney general? Th- yes, they do. Um, oh, okay. Jay McMahon is his oh, name. Oh, okay. James McMahon. And, um, you know, a uh, deal um, won on the Republican side for governor. That so, we were following closely because we didn't know if it was going to be deal or... Well, we have a Trumpist uh, running against Moran. Which is so, so interesting what it says about the Republican primary voters. Um, what's that? That they were willing to vote for the more Trump-like... Uh, Individual than yeah. the more conservative ones, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah, we tried to analyze that. Yeah, I mean, usually it, there's this strange anomaly where our delegation to Congress is always so heavily Democratic, and yet we elect these Republican governors, but they're usually moderate, at least socially yeah. moderate. Yeah, socially moderate candidates, and and yeah. uh, sort of wealth like uh, yeah, like figures, but they they. They didn't go for that this time. I think yeah. they made a calculation, if I had to guess, is that they were saying, why do that? What's the difference between that, a moderate Republican, and a Democrat? Right. So they're in their mind, just like, hey, let's go send the, the guy who we feel is the most authentic Republican. So And Kim Driscoll, who we've had here in, yeah. in the studio two times, she... Uh, she won pretty handily. Surprisingly, Eric Lesser did yeah. very well in the Hilltowns. We're going to be talking about the Hilltowns yeah. in a minute. In a, yeah, if you look at the map, somebody was telling me, west of Worcester, he took it. Yeah, it was lesser country. And then, you know, uh, the eastern part, larger population, went for, for Kim Driscoll. Driscoll. Yeah, overwhelmingly. So, so it's going to be an interesting season. I mean, that is lieutenant it? governor, but it's still influential. And, oh, it's and very matters. influential. Yeah. Yeah, and lieutenant governor is uh, recently... I'll say this to Baker. He really used Karen Polito as a sort of team member. Yeah. She worked on a lot of uh, initiatives on her own, and she worked with the legislature on her own sometimes. And uh, I think Mora has the same plan to use her lieutenant governor in the same kind of way. Okay. We'll see, won't we? We Meanwhile, will. Meanwhile, I just want to flag what's coming up. Um, we have tomorrow in, uh, we have Congressman Jim McGovern joining us with Brian Adams. On our sustainability and climate discussion, we have uh, vocalist Ashley Pizzotti, who's going to be performing at the Northampton Jazz Festival on October 1st. She'll be here in our Take 5 segment with Ruth Griggs on Thursday. And on Friday, First Franklin Representative Natalie Blay will be with us, as well as a Fair Play segment with sports writer and social commentator Duke Goldman. He's going to be talking about women in football, which is really something that I know very little about. Um, uh, other than what, that one kicker that I remember, uh, who was uh, I think for Clemson, is that right? No, she, Colorado. Colorado, you're right. right. Something to get with the C. Yeah, it was Colorado. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's going to be interesting. On Monday, we have first Monday with law professor emeritus Bruce Miller, who's going to be talking about uh, some of the dreadful stuff that's been coming out of the Supreme Court. Have they been making decisions? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> is, that, is that what you're saying, Buzz? I am. Uh, Alex Kazem of the Center for New Americans will be with us on Tuesday, bringing us up to date on uh, the resettlement of Afghan um, uh, immigrants. I was going to say refugees, but um, certainly immigrants. And on Wednesday, full circle adoptions will be here 
talking about the adoption crisis that we have. So we have a lot coming up um, in the near day. But I got to tell you, I am very excited about our guest here today in studio. He's somebody who I sort of have been tracking his career um, for quite a long time, and it is Barry Del Castillo. Barry, thank you for joining us. I'm glad to be here. It's nice to actually know you and not just know about you. And I feel the same I've way. I've done for years. I've known who you are and what you're doing, but never spend any time with you. I now. feel Well, actually, we had lunch together about 150 years ago <laughs> uh, with then um, town council for Amherst, uh, Alan Seawall. But that was a long time ago, and it was for a blink of an eye, I think. Um, so I, I just wanted to, I'm looking at your resume, Barry, and you are not only so accomplished, you just have such a diversity of governance experience. And so uh, I'm just going to summarize it. I want to then ask you a couple more probing questions. You were the uh, town of Amherst's town manager for 23 years, ending in 2006. You spent six years as the uh, town manager at Longmeadow. Uh, in South Hadley, you were a town administrator. Um, you were with the Franklin Regional Council of Governments, the FERCOG in Greenfield, um, you worked with the Collins Center for Public Management, which uh, advises Springfield, Westfield, Chicopee, South Hadley. And, um, and now, for I think four years, you've been the select board member in Buckland. Correct. What a crazy and diverse <laughs> set of experiences you have had. So, Well, I, I, I want to correct the, um, the, the um, Wilbraham and Longmeadow and South Hadley were interim. I actually retired from Amherst. Ah, uh, I see. Back for, you were killing time by uh, sort of helping them out. They they say I couldn't stay out of it, but uh, those were, that was really interesting um, follow-ups to my actual career. What made that an interesting follow-up to your actual career? Well, the, in, Which one are we talking about? All well, of them? All of them. Um, two of them were town administrator, which was a little bit different than town manager, and so I had to get used to that. System. So just for listeners and me, for our edification, uh, what I know as a difference, and it's probably insignificant uh, difference, but I know that a town manager actually uh, participates on union contracts and things like that with a school committee or a school board, right? Yes. But, which an administrator does not actually sit with the school committee or school board. Correct. Yeah. What are the other differences between manager and... The main one, I think, is hiring and firing and supervision of all, virtually all town employees. Some town managers, um, certain positions such as police chief and fire chief have to be um, approved by the select board, but a strong town manager um, is really in charge of all employees, responsible for um, everyone, except schools, of course. So here's the lead-in that I had planned I had planned to talk about democracy being imperiled. And we watch it on national news and hear, uh, and I think that it is imperiled, everything that we hear, my opinion. But um, I love my, I love the Hilltown form of governance. The, the direct, direct democracy with the legislature is the registered voters who come to town meetings, Correct. special and Absolutely. annual, and actually make decisions. They choose the budget. They decide on what laws should be passed in the form of bylaws. They are the legislature. For those 23 years in Amherst, for many of I think all of those years, you had a representative town meeting. Can you explain the difference for people? Um, the town meeting members in a representative form are actually elected from precincts. I think there were 10 precincts in Amherst with, um, I don't remember how many, but the... the uh, um, the town meeting numbered about 300 and some, but they were all, they were elected, not, not just uh, registered voters. Right. So still somebody spoke for the voter. That is, instead of the voter coming in, raising her hand or his hand and making the actual decision, they delegated to another representative the uh, ability to make the decision that either their constituents May want, or that they their moral compass told them was the right decision, right? Correct. Any any registered voter could speak at town meeting, but only the elected representatives could vote. And there's a select board. Yes. So that's the executive branch under that form. Amherst now has this hybrid thing that representative town meeting has yielded to a 
a town council, they, I think they call it yes. still. But they don't have a mayor. Usually it's either you have a select board at the head of the executive branch or you have a mayor that works with the council, which is the legislative branch. But Amherst doesn't have the mayor. No. Um, the, the traditional, across the country, the traditional form is called the council manager form, and it's a council with a mayor, an elected mayor, but the mayor is not the chief executive officer. The manager is. Um, so it's very similar to that, except uh, in Amherst, there's, there's no mayor, there's a president of the council. So it, it, that person wouldn't necessarily have the same political backing or leadership as an elected mayor, especially in, in Durham, where I started my career, the mayor was elected every two years. So it was quite, quite a measure of the political wins. That's Durham, North Carolina. North Carolina. Yes. Yeah. You have indeed been in a lot of forms of governance, but... Right now you're in the Hilltowns. I often say that I love everything about this uh, radio show, except that we are Northampton-centric. We are Valley-centric here. Yes. And I'm always trying to talk about my beloved Hilltowns, right? So here you are now in 2022 as a select board chair in beautiful downtown Buckland, Massachusetts. Yes, and loving it. I really do. What I do you love have... about it? Well... It... You know, I, I was in Durham, and I became the city manager there after a few years, and I had about 1,200 employees. And I didn't know a small fraction of them. I didn't even know the supervisory people. It was too big for me. I went to Amherst, 35,000, which, you know, in, in our business would be a, a downgrade from a city of 100,000 down to a town of 35,000. But it was smaller. I knew, you know, I knew people fairly well. In Buckland, obviously, smaller yet, so I know virtually everyone. Um, I have a, a, a shorter history as a resident of the town, so when I was first elected, I made no bones about the fact that um, I didn't have the Buckland history, I didn't know the people, all that, I just had the experience, and it's kind of come together now. How did it come together? What is being a select board chair for Hilltown like? Um, you, you just, you have a lot of local contact, even more than in, in a, a, a town the size of Amherst or a city the size of Northampton, just a lot of local contact. Uh, one of the things I have to say I enjoyed when I moved to Buckland from Amherst was anonymity, mm. <laughs> which I don't have anymore, but it's good. I, you know, I get to see people on the street. I, I, we, we have a, a public comment period after every uh, select board meeting, and it's just very, very personal. And we have an excellent town administrator, not a town manager, but a town administrator. So it's, it's easier for me to, and to make sure that I'm not trying to be the town manager because we have a good administrator. The name of your administrator. Heather Butler. And Heather, um, well, why do we even need in small towns? Admin we have one in Ashfield as well. We have a yes. town administrator. Paul McClatchy III. Um, why do we need town administrators in 2022? The, the complexity of town government, the laws, the finances, um, just about everything is, is more and more complex. So you need someone who can hopefully have some experience with it, but at least be spending full time on it. I want to talk with, I'm talking right now with Barry Del Castillo. I want to talk with Barry about something very innovative, which uh, the town of Buckland, his town has done with the town of Shelburne in terms of sharing a, a public safety uh, law enforcement, a police department, um, which is fairly unusual. It's been done before. We're going to talk about it right after the break. Do stay with us. We're talking with Barry Del Castillo. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. What are the odds of a major nuclear disaster because of the fighting and shelling around the nuclear plant in Ukraine? Join us when we speak with Michael Clare, Professor Emeritus of Peace and World Security Studies and Defense Correspondent for The Nation magazine. Michael Clare will be our guest Thursday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP, news, information, and the arts. 
In the late 30s, they started singing together at the Alabama Institute for the Negro Blind. In the 40s and 50s, they spread their gospel across the Jim Crow era South. You gotta keep the devil down in the the 60s, they shaped the sound of the civil rights movement, singing at events with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. On September 16th, they'll be singing at UMass. Going up to the, in the, sky. the Blind Boys of Alabama, Friday, September 16th at UMass Amherst. Over 80 years of gospel, along the way teaming up with Stevie Wonder, Lou Reed, and Prince. Get tickets now at the UMass Fine Arts Center website and get ready. The Blind Boys of Alabama will raise the roof on the Frederick C. Tillis Performance Hall, Friday, September 16th at UMass Amherst. When somebody dies, even if it's somebody old or somebody sick and the family is expecting it, it's still a shock. For the past 110 years, the Saluzniak family has opened the doors to their home for generations of Hampshire, Hamden, and Franklin County families, offering comfort and guidance when it's needed most. There's a certain assurance from knowing that for 110 years, four generations have offered caring help with honesty, integrity, understanding, and the highest standards. The Saluzniak family wants you to know they understand things may have changed, but their dedication to helping your loved ones in your time of loss has never wavered and it never will. They are here for you taking every precaution and will help you understand how you can pay tribute during this challenging time. Saluzniak Funeral Home up at North Street, Northampton. Oh, people have always had a hard time saying Saluzniak. It seems that the CZ always gets everybody. Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton. They're not easy to spell, but they are CZ to spell. Hey, are you coming to the Doozy Do Parade? The what? The Doozy Do Parade. There'll be teams of marchers, all with their own theme, as well as bands, floats, antique cars, roller derby, you name it. It's a fundraiser for Northampton neighbors, which provides free services for seniors living in the area. Sounds like fun. When is it? Saturday, September 17th, rain or shine. They'll step off from Northampton Center for the Arts at 11 a.m. and march up Main Street to the Academy of Music. Anyone can join a team or donate at doozydo.org. See you there. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. And we are back with WHMP. Barry Del Castillo, the chair of the select board in Buckland, a man with um, incredible experience um, in governance here in our region in western Massachusetts and indeed as far as Durham, North Carolina. And Barry, I, I wanted to ask you, you um, recently, uh, your board, um, voted to change the way public safety, the way that, that your police department is structured. Could you talk a little bit about what that change involved and why you did it? The combination of uh, police services in Buckland and Shelburne have been talked about for years, but there, you know, there are personality and political resistance to that. Um, an opportunity came with the retirement of our longtime police chief to be more serious about that. And um, also Shelburne has an excellent chief. And so uh, first of all, we had a need for an interim and it just became the opportunity to explore it further. The first step was to uh, make um, Greg Bardwell the chief in Buckland, which we did at first with a contract with him, the town of Buckland with Greg Bardwell. Now it's a contract between the town of Buckland and the town of Shelburne. Sharing for, the cost. For Shelburne to provide the services, of course, with Greg being the chief and sharing the costs. We're currently involved in a, a year-long study with lots of public participation um, to determine what's next in the Collins Center UMass Boston is helping us with that. We're going to have public forums. Um, there's a, an assumption that we're moving towards an emerging of the two departments into one. Um, I'm resisting that being a fait accompli because we want the public participation. We don't want the public to think we've already made up our minds. We're moving in that direction, but it's not a decision yet. And uh, I'm excited about it. I my career, I've, I've directly supervised police chiefs for 30 years. 
So I guess an, another part of the opportunity was to have me involved in this in this particular uh, project. Yeah, and it's so important. I know that we, you know, in Ashfield, our fire department is, it's gone from a fire department with 35 or 40 volunteers, many young people. Again, young people tend, they get squeezed out because of the high, ever escalating cost of housing, the longevity of people like myself who stay in our houses for longer periods of time so that there's not housing available. The housing crisis causes people not to be able to move in, and therefore we have a shortage. I think we have, I don't know, maybe a dozen active volunteers in our fire department, so we're talking about the same kind of sharing with either Conway or Plainfield or you, Buckland yes. and Shelburne. Yeah. Um, so it, it is a solution, and of course we just voted at our last annual town meeting and your last annual town meeting to share a senior center together, the costs are prohibitive for any one town. We're hoping that together we can maybe form a senior center. Yeah, we've been doing senior services, the three towns with Shelburne for a long time. The problem has been the facility and there was no legal entity to either buy one, build one, renovate one. Um, it, it's just no, none of the single towns were willing to take it on. It wasn't in FERCOG's Franklin Regional Council of Government's uh, charter. Um, so a district was the answer, and I hope I'm hoping it'll be a model for for uh, services like that. Well, that's really to tell you the truth. That leads me to the question I really wanted that I grapple with all the time, which is: Is our form of government, our beautiful direct democracy, in the hill towns, is it sustainable in the future? Is it a model that with all the complexity of state law and what we're required to do with our schools, what we're required to do with our police departments and our fire departments, um, our ambulance services, our building inspectors, is, do you think our form of government, there's 300, 305 little towns like ours, right? Um, is it sustainable? Well, th there'll always be a, a body of um, registered voters to be part of town meeting. The question is how many will participate, um, what will be their uh, political, small p political leanings for various uh, issues, and is there a, uh, a base among them to provide um, uh, the volunteer boards and committees, planning board, ZBA, finance committee is elected in, in Buckland. Um, most of those bodies now are by um, populated by folks who are a little uh, getting on in years, and and we are I, I count myself among them. We are very conscious of needing to recruit younger people to keep keep things going, and uh, hopefully that will happen. With the increased complexity, I think it greatly. Of course, I would think this greatly depends on the professional management and the uh, the trust that people have, not blind trust, not rubber stamping trust, but the general, earned trust. the general trust they have in the professionals that are uh, continuing to, to take care of business um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And my final question before, I, Buckland and Shelburne are sister towns. They are literally across the bridge from each other. They share so many of the commercial and the tourists that come, and they and, are... And other services. And other services. Now, police department. Yeah. I, I'm wondering, why should there be two towns? That why has, shouldn't we have <laughs> one town? Right. I mean, that has that question has arisen in the past. I think that's in the future, if ever. That's a real big step. And, um, and I don't see it happening anytime soon. But certainly the continuation of consolidating services, for instance, a town, a, a town administrator could be shared by the two with perhaps an assistant. Um, but combining the two to make it 350 towns instead of 351 cities and towns, I don't know. Well, I'm not, you know, <laughs> it might be there's going to be... How about Amherst and Northampton? <laughs> what do you think, Dan? That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> his name is Barry Del Castillo. He is, uh, I, I, he's literally 
one of our regional resources as an expert in local government. I am uh, so grateful for you to come today, grateful for everything you do for our sister town of Buckland. Um, it is a well-managed town, and I think it's in good hands. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. All right. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, it's going to be Nan Parati. Her interesting thing today, I think that she's going to be joining us from Montclair, New Jersey, from the Montclair Jazz Festival down there with the producer um, uh, Will Tone, T-O-N-E, whom I never met, but we're about to. Join us in a minute. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WSFT. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Attorney General Maura Healey and Jeff Deal will face off to become the next governor of Massachusetts. Healey was declared the winner in the Democratic primary last night. In her primary day speech, Healey emphasized what she hopes to accomplish. We'll start by making the state an easier place to live. We'll cut the costs of housing, energy, and health care. We'll help families and women get back on track and back to work by making childcare more affordable. Deal, who was supported by former President Donald Trump, narrowly beat Chris Doughty for the Republican nomination. In a tight and contentious race for the next sheriff of Hampshire County, incumbent Patrick K. Lane will become Hampshire County's de facto sheriff as he has no Republican challengers. K. Lane won with about 48 percent of the vote, followed by Yvonne Gittleson with 29 percent and Caitlin Cepeda with 23 percent. Greenfield residents plan to gather at City Hall tonight at 5 p.m. to protest the mayor's reinstatement of Police Chief Robert Haig. The organizers of the protest say the event is to demand accountability and racial justice in Greenfield. Neither Chief Haig or Mayor Wiedegartner have made any comment in regard to the outcry against the chief's reinstatement. Amherst town officials are exploring options on renovations at the Jones Library. The Finance Committee met last night to talk about questions they have for the trustees regarding escalating costs and whether the combination of grants, fundraising, and state support will allow the full renovation project to proceed. The Finance Committee will discuss this further at a second meeting, and the Town Council will also discuss the plans at its meeting on Monday. For the rest of today, partly sunny, high 70 to 74. Tonight, partly cloudy, overnight lows 52 to 56. And the outlook for Thursday, sunshine and clouds, highs in the mid and upper 70s. I'm 22 New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. But what are we drinking in the wine bunker today? Random white wine. Yes. All right. Hello, I'm Random White Guy, and I'm going to be drinking Random White Wine. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. The first one here is the uh, Gomez Cruzado from the Haro region of Rioja, and this is a white wine. Now, most people might be familiar with Viora, but this is also blended with 25% Tempranillo Blanco. I always forget that that's even a thing. Don't we all? The first sip almost seems puckering dry, but it really rounds out. A couple more sips into it, it and it is lush and creamy. But it's not so creamy without acid. There's like a, there is yeah. a little bit of acid in there. When it's too creamy, I get really bored and it's like what they call flabby, but with the acid, it braces it and it makes it really yeah, This This I want like scallops. <laughs> you mean scallops? I don't care. I want them. I care. Scallops. There we go, thank you. Find your favorite wine and your next favorite wine at State Street. Forbes Library Outreach Delivery Service caters to residents of any age who are homebound due to short or long-term disability in Northampton, Florence, and Leeds. A volunteer will deliver your specific requests or select materials for you based on your interests. We offer books, magazines, CDs, DVDs, and puzzles. Call 413-587-1019 or sign up at ForbesLibrary.org outreach. Want to support the kind of talk you hear on the Afternoon Buzz? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And you'll be supporting the local news, Valley Talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. 
This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Grab your coat and get your hat. And it is Wednesday afternoon. It's time for the inimitable Nan Parati with her interesting thing, I think. She's joining us from Montclair Jazz Festival in Montclair, New Jersey. Hello, Nan. Hello, and I have great stories for you today. I'm going to start off with a great story. It's a wild-ass story, wild story. So I drove today. I'm working the Montclair Jazz Festival in Montclair, New Jersey. Montclair terrifies me to drive in. I I mean, New Jersey terrifies me to drive in, and I always get lost. Today I got lost twice really badly. Both times I had to stop and ask directions. Both times. The people I talked to and people who were just not necessarily in any kind of position to give me advice or anything else, but the people I met were so nice and so full of joy that I had just the best time and ended up staying talking to them longer. And when I, both times, and then I get, I'm late already getting to Montclair, but I'm just thinking, this is so much fun talking to these happy people. And one person even said, I think God sent you here so we could have a good time, which I also thought was fun. So then I get back in my car, I'm driving. And I'm thinking about joy. I'm thinking about the world and how everybody is so freaked out, and for many, many reasons, why we're all very afraid of what's happening in the world. Climate change, politics, everything is so scary. And I was kind of talking to myself about, well, what are you going to do in the world to make it a better place? And I started thinking about this thing. I was really thinking about the people I'd met and the future of joy. And my guest today was supposed to be the producer of this festival. And at the last minute, she got called into a meeting and couldn't come and, and make, the, make the interview with me. And so I walked into the office, and I met Joy. That's me. Joy Velasco. <laughs> and she, I have met, I've met with her, like, over, you know, uh, Zoom calls. I've interviewed, or not interviewed, but talked to her through email and things like that. And she's such a joyful person. And her name is Joy. I'm spending the day thinking about Joy. And so today, my whole guest is Joy. That it is. Now it is such a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Let's start with, there's so many things to talk about here, and I'm very excited about it. Let's start with, what do you do in life? Of course. Besides be joyful. Oh, <laughs> well, being joyful is a commitment in my life, honestly. It's, it's really a way of living. Um, in terms of my career, I work at Jazz House Kids, which is the producer of jazz of the Montclair Jazz Festival, uh, which we hold every year annually for the entire town of Montclair, New Jersey. And it actually is one of the largest regional jazz festivals in the entire northeastern United States, which is really a lot to say for just a tiny little town outside of New York City. You know, outside you, New York. You would think that, like, New York City has its own thing. They have their own things going on. But in terms of a day-long festival that really reaches really just the entirety of the downtown area of Montclair, Montclair is known as a place where the suburb meets the city. And I think that by having events such as the Montclair Jazz Festival, we really do live up to our name. And to that phrase, we, this is where the suburb meets the city. So here at the Jazz House, I work on the marketing and communications team, along with my lovely, lovely coworker Nancy Klein, a wonderful person as well. And under her tutelage, I've been working for here since, actually, the, since the beginning of the year, um, just learning about what it means to really work and to contribute to an organization and to a cause that's bigger than myself. I want to talk about that because one of the things I do love in life is Jazz House Kids. Talk about that for just a minute, what exactly it does, because talk about bringing joy to the world. They definitely do bring joy to the world, uh, you know, to the world, joy to New Jersey, you know, everywhere from the local to the you know international spectrum. We really cover it all. So Jazz House Kids is a nonprofit organization dedicated to the uh, – to the education and to the growth of jazz music to youth and adults and, you know, just the wider community at large, primarily based in the northern New Jersey area. But we really have events which uh, span across not just North New Jersey, but also New York City. We also have uh, plenty of other events throughout the year that really keep us engaged and busy within the greater uh, spectrum of, you know, the entire area. So we host a, a whole ton of really wonderful and great events uh, one of which is our in-schools programs. Uh, well, one of which is our in-school programs, and we have a lot of fun bringing jazz education to students in areas where otherwise they might not have that kind of commitment, that kind of access to specifically jazz music. Because when you think about it, jazz—it's 
it, it's cons- I consider it personally an art form, but it's also just a way to express yourself, right? Yes. I mean, jazz of all kinds of music, you, you do have that, that opportunity to express yourself. It's not just the notes on the page. You can Absolutely. go nuts. Yeah. And for <laughs> me, so for me personally, I'm actually not a musician, uh, not in the way that some of my coworkers are who are professionally you know, trained and classically trained musicians. For me, I'm actually coming from a visual arts background, so I have a little less experience with jazz, I, I suppose you could say. But even in my short time working at the jazz house, I've learned so much about this beautiful craft, and I've learned so much about what it means to, to know jazz. It's a very intimate kind of art form. It's not just playing the music, but it's also just knowing the community at large and knowing the people behind that, everybody from the people who set up, the people who attend the events. Really, it's a really beautiful and unique art form. And one thing I love about Jazz House Kids is what it does is it introduces kids who, from very, very diverse backgrounds, and not necessarily kids who are going to be music majors in life or kids who are ever going to necessarily do anything in life. And it teaches them the music. And they, their teachers are people like, like Christian McBride, eight-time Grammy Award winner. I mean, they have amazing teachers, and it teaches them how to play the music, how to play the instruments, how to m- conduct your world in the world of music, and introduces them to a whole world that they would never know, and brings them into a community. And I'm thinking, again, when we talk about joy, so many people have lost, because of the COVID, because of everything that's happened in the last few years, people have lost their communities. And the fact that Jazz House Kids brings these kids together and connects them with a world that is so much bigger than a world they would ever meet, to me... I think it's one of the most amazing things in the world, and I think it's really, really exciting. It really is. And, you know, again, one of my favorite parts about the Jazz House is the accessibility that it brings to people all over the Jersey area. So, you know, we'll go into a lot of inner city schools where uh, the music programs are a little bit more underfunded. So we'll go into Newark, we'll go into Patterson, we'll go into areas like that where necessarily, uh, not necessarily all the students are coming from a privileged background. Right. There's a lot of uh, people of color who enroll in our programs, which I personally love to see as a person of color myself. And it's just so enriching and just so inspiring to see young kids who otherwise wouldn't have access right. to learn such a beautiful art form. And from, you know, jazz musicians who are world-renowned, like Chris McBride. It's just such, it just, it just <laughs> screws me up every time I see the kids perform. Um, for example, we recently had um, a whole slurry of just different um, programs throughout the year, but we one of our things that we host is actually the summer workshops. So we'll get students from not just the New Jersey area, but the whole and uh, New York tri-state region. We'll get kids internationally. So we actually had students come in from the U.K., from Mexico, in the oh, past wow. Peru, and more. And we'll have these students, you know, come together. So not only is it uh, a music exchange, it's also a cultural exchange because these children get to meet people of all various backgrounds, and it just helps widen and broaden their horizons. Yeah. I know. That is Isn't too, that great? That is so <laughs> great. That is so I great. I love it. I do, too. I think that people who, I mean, again, I think we need to start taking real action to bring joy back to the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it has to start somewhere. Exactly. So, and exactly what we do at our, you know, what we do at the Jazz House is promote these types of programs. Uh, we have a variety of after-school programs throughout the year. We also have summer programs, as I mentioned. And, of course, we have the giant Montclair Jazz Festival, which is coming upon us uh, Saturday, Saturday, September 10th. <laughs> it's, uh, we have a whole lot of action going on. Yes, we do. <laughs> and really, really good signs. I would like to mention that. Too. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. You know, by none other than the Nan Parati herself. Exactly. So. Exactly. Right. So, Joy Velasco, does Jazz House Kids also have any adult programming? Yes, they do. So here at the Jazz House, not only do we cater to uh, youth programs, but we also have a wonderful community band. Uh, We have a few programs for adults as well throughout the year, and we're looking to expand that. So not only do we have programs in the Jersey area, we've actually recently started creating programs in New York City at Trinity Church Wall Street, which for those of you who might know, it's a very large and very historic institution, uh, which was actually, I think it's been around since the Revolutionary War. Yeah, isn't that crazy to think? And it's located right in the middle of, you know, uh, downtown New York. So they have so much esteem and so much privilege. And the fact that they want to partner with us and help build up our programs in New York City, I'm just so astounded at how much growth we've had in just like 
like in less than 20 years. Yeah, right? it's it's truly it's truly amazing. Band. I really really love it. And yeah, they have a they have a band that plays at the festival that is made up of the of the adults. Yeah, and, yes. and it shows that anybody can learn jazz at any age. At any age, right? And that's yeah. a great place yeah. to break. Anybody can learn jazz at any age. It's Nan Peretti <laughs> is there with her guest Joy Velasco of the Jazz House. It's the interesting thing of the week. And when we come back, we want to hear more about the Montclair Jazz Festival, which is coming up this weekend. We'll be right back after these messages. Do stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me, yeah. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. New life for me. Ooh, 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 ooh. And I'm feeling good. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to, you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 101.5, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Hi, I'm Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. Have we got some exciting news for you. I'm Mortgage Originator Jessica Eau Claire. We're extending our offer to save up to $1,000 on your mortgage closing costs. And I'm Mortgage Originator Kimberly Gates. There's still time to get $750 closing credit plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you. Start your application now at bestlocalbank.com or come see us in person at one of our convenient locations. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Missy Tatro. Or me, Kimberly Gates. Or me, Jessica Eau Claire, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by November 30th, be a new first mortgage customer, or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender. Member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. The Paul Parent Garden Club, every Sunday, 6 to 8 a.m. Brought to you by Weinzick Nursery, locally owned and operated since 1954. Visit Mike, Amity, John, and the rest of the team at Weinzick Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley, and online at weinzicknursery.com. If your Spanish-speaking employees spoke better English, would that be good for business? If your English-speaking employees spoke a little Spanish, would that be good for business? The International Language Institute delivers workplace language training, improving communication among coworkers and with customers. You get financial assistance with the Massachusetts Workplace Training Express Fund. They cover 50 to 100% of the cost. So let's get going. Call or email the International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. It's the 14th annual Tom Kazenzi Driving for the Cure Charity Golf Tournament to support Dana-Farber Cancer Institute on September 27th at Twin Hills Country Club. To get involved, visit us online at TomKazenziDrivingForTheCure.com and together we can make a difference. Dinner tonight starts with a tap. Tap the Local Hero Guide on the CISA website and find farm fresh food close to where you are. There are so many farms and farm stands just minutes away. Look for the bright yellow Local Hero label in stores and restaurants. Local Hero Food, the beauty and the bounty of our fertile River Valley farmlands on your dinner table tonight. The Local Hero Guide is at the CISA website, buylocalfood.org. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back uh, with the interesting things segment with Nan Parati, the intrepid sign making <laughs> festival lady, Nan Parati. <laughs> All yours, Nan. Yeah, you have to be intrepid to make signs in the festival world. You never know what's going to come up. 
And I'm here today with Joy Velasco. We're talking about joy in the world, joy to the world, joy all over the world, and joy here in the studio. That's me. <laughs> Pleasure to be on, Nan. Thank you. And we're here with the Montclair Jazz Fest. Joy works for the Montclair Jazz Fest. And so tell us, who's playing this weekend? This is this Saturday from 1 until 9. Joy, who's playing? Right. So we actually have a whole lineup of just several different artists. Uh, you know, internationally acclaimed, we have, for example, Matthew Whitaker, The Cookers, Emmanuel Wilkins, Monty Alexander, and the Harlem Kingston Express. And one of our greats, uh, who's also the artistic director of the Jazz House, Christian McBride and friends. So we have a whole group of people, um, among many others. We have, oh, at this point, I'd say it's like two dozen, 18 to two. You know, yeah. Two and yeah. Danielle Ponder. She's great. I love me some Danielle Ponder. Yes. I learned a little bit about her background, actually. Yeah. So it turns out, I didn't know this beforehand, but she actually was working as a public defender before right. she got into jazz, and because she found that by using her voice, she could really, not, you know, of course, being a public defender is a wonderful career, but she found that she could express herself so much more by using her voice, you know, by singing through music and, of course, through jazz. So she started her career in the past few years, and she has just skyrocketed in terms of acclaim and just recognition all over the world. I know. She's so great. Really and I love that she was a public defender and right? used her music to... In in the same vein. I yes, just think that's so cool. Vein, yeah. So uh, I think touching upon that concept of joy, Nan, that you were talking about earlier, I find inspiration in her because she's using her joy to change the world around her through her music. Yeah. That is so cool. I love that so much. I think that's really, really neat. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the Montclair Jazz Festival overall is a great opportunity for the whole community to get together. So, for example, what we do a lot oftentimes with the Montclair Jazz Festival, obviously we're based in Montclair, New Jersey, but we bring in all of the community partners. We bring in local business support. We want to make sure everybody's involved. So, for example, over the past summer, we've had community support from almost every single local business on this main street that oh, we wow, have here. Great. It's really great. Yeah. So it's to the point that everybody knows us by name. Um, they know me as the, the marketing girl, of course, <laughs> um, because I go into all the businesses. I love to talk to people. I love to communicate with people and make friends um, because no matter what, there's always something wonderful to be gained through a social interaction, through right. a conversation. Right. Because otherwise it feels uh, not corporate, a little stale, and you don't want that for an organization that is so community-based, right? right? Right, exactly. And I imagine when you go, um, you guys can't see Joy, but she's dressed all in lavender, including her eyes. Her eyes are, I mean, <laughs> the eyeshadow is wildly designed, fabulously designed. <laughs> uh, yes, I like to express myself visually. Um, I'm more, definitely a visual, creative person, so fashion is just a way for me to express myself. <laughs> Talk about something about the other stuff you do with the illustration. What, do you, what kind of illustration do you do? Oh, yeah. So uh, I guess for the audience, um, outside of the Jazz House, but also within the Jazz House, I work as a freelance illustrator. So that's my primary background, right? So I do a lot of work for not just nonprofits, but also... Uh, local businesses, for individuals, for bands even. Um, and I'm looking to get more and more involved with the local sphere of things because I realize that some of my most um, uh, worthwhile projects that I've worked on have all been for local communities. So, for example, um, I work for a lot of local community newspapers. I do a lot of editorial illustration, which is to say the illustration for magazines, newspapers, etc. And I find that I have the most fun working, again, with those local publications, uh, one of which is called Mochi Magazine, which is an organization for Asian American women. And it's a wonderful you know, hubbub space for everyone to get involved, get together. And it just feels great to have that community where you feel a sense of belonging. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's very it's cool. It's a lot of fun. But uh, primarily I work in digital medium, so a lot of my stuff is in Photoshop and Procreate. I also love dabbling in painting, so for me... I really, really enjoy a good acrylic medium. I love the watercolors. I love gouache. Uh, there's just something special about, yeah, using those traditional mediums, right? Yeah. It's just, it's, you can feel it, and you can really work with that, and there's something beautiful about the handcraft quality of it. Yeah, and this, I mean, that's what I love about this. I mean, the signs I do. Have been, oh, yeah. I mean, and I'm not just trying to say this, but it is true. I love, I, I connect with every single sign I write. I really do. In fact, a sign will tell me, no, this is not right. Do it again. A sign will tell me that. 
It really does. I, right. I have such a communication <laughs> with all of them. It's really kind of funny. That's and, great to hear. Yeah, and I'll, I'll rearrange. I'll add some extra swirls or stars or whatever because the sign told me to do that. But mm-hmm. it is it is an interaction. That it's a really intuitive kind of thing, uh, not only for music, of course, but also for visual arts. Right. To be able to create a piece is to express yourself and to get that idea in your head out, whether you know it intuitively, whether you know it uh, in your mind or not actually. Right, right, right. right. Exactly. That's what I love about art. It's just such a wonderful medium, and it can be relaxing if you want it to be. It can be very forceful and very energizing if you want it to be as well. Art is whatever you want it to be. Just today I was driving across, this is funny, the Mario Cuomo Bridge. Yes. And that's a piece of art. I had never seen it before. That's amazing. It, it really is. Oh, it's, it's gorgeous. A, it's a piece of modern, uh, art. modern structural engineering, yes, right? Right. And it, when you think about the shape of the Mario Cuomo Bridge, it's actually quite elegant. Yes, it is. Very uh, elegant. For, for those listening, Google the Mario Cuomo Bridge. <laughs> Personally, I'm a big fan of it. Um, it also connects to all the wonderful little towns in the lower Hudson River area, like Nyack, New York. Uh, it's close to Sleepy Hollow if you yeah, if you like Halloween, Halloween right? Past oh, I need to go there. Oh, it's a great place. Yeah. I bet. <laughs> so in the two minutes yeah. we have left, tell us let's, let's go back to the performing arts. How many people are yeah. going to be attending? How do people get tickets to the Montclair Jazz Festival, etc.? Of course. So thankfully, the Montclair Jazz Festival is actually the largest free to access jazz festival in the entire United States. So all you do is just go into downtown Montclair. There will be plenty of signs as you approach the area, um, and we have plenty of free parking as well. What we pride ourselves on is that because we're a nonprofit, we want to make sure that this music is accessible to everybody. So, therefore, there there is no entry fee into the Montclair Jazz Festival. All you do is just present yourself, bring some friends and family and loved ones, and enjoy the music. We have plenty of vendors. We have lots of activities like the Family Discovery Jazz Zone. We have a pet zone for those bringing their dogs. You know, if you want, you're going to give your pets some treats, some, you know, <laughs> some food, water, yes. et cetera. Exactly. <laughs> we also really value families. So we have a, um, actually, a new this year, it's a lactation station uh-huh. for, uh, you know, for young parents who, you know, who breastfeed. It's really just great to see, again, this is from the community side, right. community support great. Right. It starts at 1 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. It goes till 9 o'clock. 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. Right. Yeah. And actually, afterwards, we're going to have an after party at the Wellmont Theater. Uh, We're going to have a wonderfully renowned turntablist named DJ Logic. He'll be spinning the record from 9 p.m. until midnight. Uh, Tickets you can find online at Ticketmaster for just $19. Uh, and definitely follow us online at the Montclair Jazz Festival. You can find us at MontclairJazzFestival.org. If you just uh, type it in a quick Google search, you'll be able to find us on all the social media outlets. Uh, we update almost every day at this point, especially you know because of the uh, lead-up to the event. And we hope to see you there. Yeah. Well, thank you so yeah, much, you Joy Velasco. Thank you so much, Nan Parati. Uh, <laughs> great, have a great time down there in the Montclair Jazz Festival. It really sounds fantastic um everybody else thank you for joining us today please join us tomorrow we're going to have representative our congressman jim mcgovern on with brian adams talking about climate and sustainability and on friday we'll have first franklin representative natalie blay along with duke goldman talking about fair play women in football interesting topic thanks for joining us today and please join us tomorrow at four have a great time down at that jazz festival thank you This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Hilltown Families, a community-based education network in Western Mass., believes in creating resilient and sustainable communities by developing and strengthening a sense of place. Together, we are creating a new culture of intentional learning, one that is based in our communities and infused with local and personal values, supporting authentic connections through self-directed learning. Each week online at hilltownfamilies.org, we identify embedded learning opportunities found in local events and resources. Live and local Interpret news the educational and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's